Speaking of the family, you remember that TV program, All in the Family? I remember the name. I don't think I ever watched it. I, I do remember the name, but maybe that's where I got the idea for this series. Uh, every year we try to bring some messages to the family because the family in America is in trouble. The home. and uh, There are many enemies of the family, of the nuclear family, as I mentioned in our last study. Last week, all of these start with C, and last week we looked at common practices that are found in strong families, and I gave you 10 of them, and today we want to look at communication in the family, and um, this is uh, very important because we, know, we need to know how to get along and how to communicate uh, with one another. Richard Dehan says we all talk too much. Uh, what heartaches are caused, he said. He wrote this. What homes are broken up? Friends are separated. Wars incited by some hasty, angry word. He went on. He said, much of the conflict in the world is caused by a combination of a narrow mind and a wide mouth. You will seldom get into trouble by listening, and most of us can learn more from what others say than from what we have to say. And that's Richard Dehan. Many of the troubles that most of us encounter are brought on because we opened our mouths and we said the wrong thing at the wrong time. Now think back in your own life and consider how much heartache was caused because you were swift to hear and you were slow to speak. Maybe. Uh, whatever or whenever a couple, a married couple, start talking, there are more, four messages that are flying back and forth. Four of them. What he meant to say and what he actually said, what she meant to say and what she actually said, and, and add to that what he thinks she said and, and what she thinks he said. And, and no wonder we have trouble understanding each other as husbands and wives. And then you add to that the biological differences that God has designed. And we come from different backgrounds. We have different temperaments, different personalities, all of that. And yet there are some homes where there's great happiness. And uh, it can be like a home made in heaven, lived out on earth. There can be such a thing. Uh, and so then you've got some families that they go to another extreme, and that, that is they don't hardly talk at all. And really they're communicating. They're communicating with their silence. And, and that can cause major problems as well. Some men especially keep everything bottled up, bottled up, and finally the day comes when they explode, that type of thing. But commun communication is important for us in every area of life. I mean, even in business, communicate with your employees or the employees need to communicate with their boss. Uh, maybe even in church, you gotta be able to communicate. And sometimes when people try to communicate, they can be harsh even in church, but it, it causes major problems, in a, especially in marriage. Friends, when you got communication problems, You've got some major problems. 
And I have found in counseling over the years, 42 years, that a lot of the problems stem and start with problems in communication. Dr. Dr. Paul Faulkner of Abilene Christian University quotes one study that says that 96% of all problems in marriage ultimately go back to problems in the area of communication. The average couple could solve the vast majority of their problems if they would only learn to properly communicate with each other. The word communication comes from the word commune, which means to share together. Uh, there's that one flesh relationship uh, when we uh, get married. And Genesis really speaks of this. And uh, there should be the same purpose, same goals, working together, that type of thing. But communication is what happens when, of course, we begin to talk with each other and not at each other. The Bible teaches us that the key to good communication is the ear and not the mouth. And many people think that the more they talk, the more they have communicated. Usually the opposite is true. And a great scripture to meditate on is Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19 that says, Where words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Wisdom. I think we need to hit that balance. Uh, don't be one who talks all the time, but don't be one who doesn't talk at all. I mean, uh, for both extremes can cause you major problems in your family and in your marriage. Uh, men and women do communicate very differently by God's design. Sometime I, I won't ask, why did you design it this way, Lord? I mean, you, you did a great work and, and uh, you created Adam and Eve and, and uh, you know, it, it was a blessed thing. But why do we sometimes communicate so differently? Not only do we say things differently, we mean things differently when we say the same thing. Communication is a big problem in marriage, and therefore, good communication is one of the keys to a healthy marriage. I'd like to begin this morning by mentioning four obstacles to good communication in marriage. Let's look at it. First of all, the first obstacle to good communication is just exhaustion. A lot of us are burning the candles at both ends. I almost said, use the word stress, because we're so stressed out. And why is this generation so stressed out? And, and the answer is overcommitment. Even as pastors, I mean, I could do a lot more speaking outside of the church, but my first obligation is right here. And I don't hold revival meetings like I used to and, and things like that because there's much to do here. And I'll tell you, outside organizations and all, maybe they're good organizations, they can pull you in so many directions. But you say yes to your work, and you say yes to your hobbies, and you say yes to your children, and you say yes to your friends who need a favor, and you even say maybe yes to a second job, and yes to everyone else but your spouse. Uh, we're always ready to do one more thing 
But you can't say yes to one thing without saying no to something else. And so husbands come home exhausted. Wives come home frustrated. Nobody wants to talk. No one has the energy to listen. You pass like ships in the night, sharing the same address, same telephone number, same house, eating at the same table, but never communicating. You're simply too exhausted, too stressed out to make the effort. The second obstacle to to good communication is materialism. Ecclesiastes 5 verses 10 through 12 has a lot to say about this. This is a common problem. See, men are bad about trying to replace themselves and the family with things. You constantly have to buy something new. A new house, a new truck, a new four-wheeler, a new boat, a new gun. So you work all of the overtime you can get. You're putting in 70 hours a week when really you could get by and make it fine working 45 hours a week. Uh, You're gone all day and even into the night. And in the meantime, you're not around your wife and your kids. And the answer to the problem is simple. We just need to learn to live with less, folks. Even new research has found that the richest among us, the richer we get, the less happy we become. I, I did a number of res- a lot of research on this and found that there's article after article after article about how the more money people have, the less happy they are. Uh, people who think that money will make them happier are so deceived by Satan. And we find that men like Elvis Presley, wealthy man, maybe you love to hear him sing, but he wasn't happy. Johnny Cash, I mean, there's articles. The Rockefellers, there's uh, Howard Hughes, Frank Sinatra. And then there's Charles Schwab, men that had riches untold, and yet they were not happy because riches do not satisfy. And so study after study shows that money fails to buy us happiness, folks. There is no basic relationship between money and happiness. The Bible warns us, in fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, but the love of it. The love of it. So Solomon gave us a penetrating assessment in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, of the rich man and his special problems that he has. Let's look at some of the problems there in Ecclesiastes 5. First of all, he is continuously dissatisfied with what he has. I mean, in Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says, Whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his wealth, with his income. And this, too, is meaningless. And meaningless means it's, it's empty, it's vain. It's unfulfilling. It's like uh, soap bubbles. You reach for it and it's gone. It's just meaningless. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't bring happiness in life. 
It's like the story of the man who asked the millionaire, when are you going to stop working and start taking it easy and enjoying what you have? And his answer is when I have enough money. The question, how much is enough? Answer, he gave, just one dollar more. See, money has a way of doing that to you. Did you know that money is like a narcotic? Did you know that money can be addictive? And, and both drugs and money can do great damage to your family and can ruin your life and can bring a snare to your life. Also, the rich man, I notice in Ecclesiastes 5.11, he amasses a great fortune only to see others consume his wealth. Nobody keeps his money forever. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we will take nothing with us. The only benefit a man gets from his riches is feasting his eyes on his possessions. After all, you can only wear one pair of pants at a time. Uh, you can only eat one meal at a time. Uh, you can only drive one car at a time. I know, I know some love the old cars, and I do too. I, I don't have any uh, old, old cars made in the 30s or 40s or, or back in the 60s. But I, I know guys that have built great, large garages, and they've got 15 or 20 cars, Mustangs, and old uh, 68 Camaros and Corvettes and all of that, and, and, and that's good. But you know, they can't, they can't drive all of those things at the same time, all those cars. And, and so basically, uh, all you can do is, it, it's just for show, folks. Right. Just for show. It's no, you don't need it. It's for show. Thirdly, I notice in Ecclesiastes 5 that the rich man loses sleep worried about his wealth, worried about his vast empire. And that's found in verse 12. Here's the picture of a guy that has a, a classic type A personality. He's hard driving, and God give, gives people those type personalities, just like he gives type Bs. But he's hard driving, he's demanding of himself, he's demanding of everyone around him. He's a workaholic. He's up early. He goes to bed late, he's stressed out, he's worried about protecting his investments, his wealth, he doesn't exercise because he feels like it's a waste of time, he doesn't eat right because he doesn't have time, he's got to get the work done, he doesn't spend much time with his wife or with his kids because he's got a business to run. After all, he says, i got to provide for my family. Yeah, but don't go to the extreme with it, friend. The guy is on a train headed for Heart Attack City. And do you know the worst of it? He can't even sleep. Can't sleep. The poor fellow tosses and turns. He tries to adjust his pillow. Uh, he lies awake staring at the ceiling, staring into space, worrying about his investments. And if you're in the stock market right now, you probably should be a little bit worried. But the man eats and he sleeps and he drinks his work. He is a mess and his marriage is an absolute wreck. Let's go to the third obstacle. The third obstacle of good communication, or to good communication, is television, uh, cell phones, computers, electronic gadgets. 
Many people turn to these things as a means of just trying to avoid their problems. Some men are so addicted to television that if they're at home, they've got to watch television continuously. And that's why a lot of families don't come to Wednesday night services. You know, they, they are addicted to maybe the TV. They've got the programs that they've got to watch. And, and that's why some don't make it to Sunday school. They stay up to 2 o'clock in the morning watching movies on Netflix and Roku. And then they say, we overslept this morning, Pastor. Yeah, if I'd have stayed up to 2, I probably would have too. I'd, I barely would make it to preach, right? But a lot of times, I'm harder on the men than I am the women. We are the main spiritual leaders in the home, based on the Word of God. But let me tell you, some of the ladies have told me that they spend five, six hours a day on Facebook. I mean, no wonder there's no communication between you and your husband. No wonder the house is always a mess. No wonder your marriage is falling apart. I mean, no wonder you never read or pray. I mean, television, the computer, the internet, that is a great barrier to good communication in your home. And all three uh, that I mentioned can do great damage. Even little kids, you're trying to talk to them and they, they're playing a game on their little cell phone or iPad or whatever they have. and. You know, you have to say something three or four times before they hear you. You know what I'm saying? And so you cannot be swift to hear if you're addicted to electronic gadgets. Fourth, the fourth obstacle to good communication is a buildup of complaints because of unfair treatment. All marriages have their problems. Anybody here got a problem-free marriage today? That's what I thought. That's why I'm preaching on this. Yeah. And, and mine has had problems at times. I mean, it's just a fact of life. But some deal with them quickly, and some do not. A little things build up. And build up like lava maybe in, uh, on Mount St. Helens. And, and then boom! And the top blows off. And that's why the Bible says in Ephesians 4.26, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do you know why? What does that mean? It means don't go to bed mad at your wife or your husband. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Solve your problems before you go to bed. Don't, don't go to sleep angry. Why is that so important? It is important because what you think about as you drift off to sleep becomes a part of your subconscious mind. What starts as anger overnight becomes a grudge if you sleep on it. The anger sinks in and it slowly turns to resentment. And, oh, and over time it hardens like concrete. And each little grudge becomes another brick in the wall that separates you from your mate. And let me say this while we're on this. Avoid those hot button issues. Okay? There are some people, they know they're going to get in a fight. They know they're going to make their husband or wife mad. And they'll hit it every time. The hot button issue. 
And here they go. You must like being miserable if you're that way. You know it's always caused a fight. And then you go and hit it again. You, you must love living in misery. Leave those issues alone. It's going to accomplish absolutely nothing to hit them. And you know it's going to set your mate off. But remember, as long as you carry a grudge, you keep sleeping on it. You can't communicate. You talk, but your mate hears only the anger that is coming out inside of you. Uh, you listen, but your resentment blocks the message from coming through clearly. And as a result, the sludge of a bad attitude clogs up the communication line and nothing really gets through. And Brother Carl can't hear too good, he said this morning. And uh, some of us can. You know, we don't listen to each other. The Bible contains many messages that offer help in this area. The book of Proverbs is just filled with great wealth of good advice on listening and communication and family. Ephesians chapter 4 has many good principles of how we're to listen and communicate with each other. But if you want the whole thing boiled down to just one verse, I don't know of a better one. I know we just studied all the way through the book of James. What was it? About 28 sermons from the book of James. Only five chapters. But I'm coming right back to James 1.19. Because it contains three short and simple steps to good communication in your home. If you take these three steps, you will be on your way to great communication in your marriage. First of all, it says what? Be quick to hear. James 1.19. Quick to hear. And this simply means listen intently. In this congregation this morning, I've probably got 80% of you, now I would say 50% of you, listening intently. 30% are getting some of it. And then I've got another 20% that probably hadn't heard a thing I've said all morning. Uh, it's just a fact. I, I don't care what church it is. You've got some. They've never disciplined their hearts and minds to take in the Word of God and, and to listen. And they don't realize the great how the Word of God benefits their lives. But they just don't listen. We need to be quick to hear. God gave us two ears and one mouth so that we might listen twice as much as we speak. And listening is the most basic communication skill and yet it seems to be a skill that most people never master. I heard one preacher say, I didn't say this, I'm just telling you what one preacher said. He said that he had been around some women that you couldn't pay him a million dollars to live with because they talk all the time. I, uh, I don't know how his church like that. But for every woman like that, there are two men, uh, two men that are preoccupied, too preoccupied to truly listen to what their wives are trying to say. Good listening is basically a matter of concentration. Concentrating. The more important you consider the message, the more you will concentrate upon it. And I, I've been with families and, and when their loved ones had surgeries. And the surgeon, he entered the waiting room after the surgery. He had done the surgery. And, and I've probably been in there thousands of times over the years. And I'll tell you one thing I have found every time a loved one has been operated on 
and the doctor comes in. Family members are listening intently and they're concentrating on every single word that doctor has to say. And I, I'm the same way. It's my loved ones. The reason we don't hear what the other person is saying is because we are just too busy thinking about sometimes what we're going to say back to them, especially if we're in an argument. Right. Proverbs 18.13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and it's a shame unto him. Active listening means that you focus on the other person, you listen to the whole statement, and let the meaning of it sink in. I love a passage, and I love First and Second Samuel. I've talked through it years ago, and I may do it again soon. But in, in, in Second Samuel, chapter 23, we have a story of where David, it's about the life of David. He's an old man. He's out there fighting against the Philistines. And he is camped out in the cave. And the Philistines, the arch enemy of Israel, they have captured Bethlehem. And if you know anything about Bethlehem, you know that's where David's home was. He grew up there. He watched over uh, his father's sheep in Bethlehem. And David was weary. And, and, and he said to no one in particular, he's an older guy now. He says, oh, that someone, he's just thinking out loud that someone would bring me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. And he knows Bethlehem's already been captured. And he was just wishing out loud. Well, the Bible says three of his mighty men loved David so much that they were listening intently to him. And they heard his statement. And they decided, these three men, to do something about it. And the Bible says that very night, they fought their way into Bethlehem and they went to the well and they got David some water. He was, David was thinking about that cool, crystal clear water, refreshing water from the well of Bethlehem. He's just thinking. He didn't have any idea that anybody would go and get the water. And they brought it to him. They went and got it, fought and brought it back and gave it to him in the cave. And they were three men who were quick to listen. David was so moved by their devotion and by their bravery that he couldn't even drink it. Instead, he used it as an offering to the Lord. Their devotion was so strong as all he had to do was mention what he would love to have or wanted. And they went and did it for him. They loved David. And when you really love someone, you listen intently to what they say, even if they aren't talking to you. And you're willing to move heaven and earth to do what you can to try and make that person happy. Communication begins with listening more. Quick to hear. Let's go to the second one. Slow to speak. Verse 19. That means speak carefully, but speak honestly. That means talk less. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 20 says, Do you see a man who speaks in haste, I mean, he's always running off the mouth. He speaks in haste. There is no hope, or there is more hope for a fool than for him. You know, it's easy to kill a marriage with unkind words. It, it really is. 
How many times have we said something in anger and we would regret a thousand times and wish to God we hadn't said it? You know? In this context, we, the command to talk less seems to refer to the tendency to speak when, when you are angry or when you are frustrated. You know, when I was a child and I used to hear people say this, sticks and stones, or maybe I even said it a time or two, may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me. Uh, that's a nice, brave saying, and it, it works fairly well if you have no feelings. Words hurt far more, though, my friends, than sticks and stones and the wounds that they leave are a lot of times take far longer to heal. Words that we wish we could take back in a moment of stress, we uttered them and we can't take them back. Unkind words don't break bones, but they break hearts. They break hearts. Few people ever get into trouble from saying too little. Many people get into trouble talking too much. And it's caused a multitude of miseries because they talk too much. Some people put their mouths in motion before they put their brains in gear. And that's what Proverbs is talking about. And one reason you should be slow to speak is that once you have spoken those words, listen to me, you can never unspeak them. Or you can say, I'm so sorry, and, and, and I didn't mean it, but the word's already released into the heart and mind of your family member or your friend or whoever. So we're to be swift to hear, slow to speak. And there's a third one I see here that James gives us, and that is slow to get angry. Wives, do we have any hot-headed husbands here this morning? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> when it says don't get angry, it means just calm down. It means cool it. Cool it. Avoid angry words. Now, James is not saying don't get angry. There's a time for anger. You know, when I see people within trying to destroy this country, I get angry about that. When I see them teaching our kids perverted things and trying to push God out of everything, I get angry. There's a time for anger. God's Word says, be ye angry and sin not. There is a righteous indignation. There's a time for anger. But James is not saying don't get angry. But we're all going to get angry from time to time, all of us. And that's a part of being married. The word translate anger, actually, in fact, there are different stages of anger and, and wrath and all of that. But it actually refers to a deep-seated rage in the context. A deep-seated rage. It doesn't refer to a, maybe a, a passing moment of displeasure, which is soon forgotten. No. James is speaking of that devotion which, when released, it's like a volcano erupting. And it spews red-hot lava all over the living room. James clearly believes that anger is under our control. Why would he, why would he give the admonition and challenge, be slow to wrath, if it's not under our control? 
I mean, sometimes we talk as if our blowing up, our short fuse, as if it's against our will. No, my friend, that's just a compound. It's a compound. Anger is an emotion we control. Here's the proof. And I used this probably 10 years ago in a sermon, but it's so good I've got to use it again. Have you ever had an argument with your spouse and you're really going at it and, uh, and the phone rang right in the middle of a heated argument? And you've been raising your voice and you're red in the face and then the phone rings. Hello. <laughs> How are you, preacher lackey? <laughs> I'm so glad you called to check on us. Yeah, I plan to see you Sunday. Well, goodbye, Pastor. And you hang the phone up, and here you go at it again, right? <laughs> And that's because anger is an emotion you can control. Amen. Notice with me the progression in verse 19. If we're quick to hear, we will be slow to speak. But if we are slow to hear, we will doubtless be quick to speak. And quick speaking leads to quick anger. And the angrier we get, the faster we speak and the less we hear get angry. I want to give you some basic steps for getting yourself under control when anger, when you feel anger, getting the best of you. First of all, take a deep breath and relax. Relax. You can't stay angry without getting tense. And that's why taking a walk will help dissolve anger. I mean, you know, get rid of the tension and the, the anger will leave you at the same time. And then you can come and deal with the problem, maybe. And then ask yourself, what exactly am I upset about? Uh, be specific. I'm very angry because my husband said he was going to help me with the kids, but he's downstairs watching football on television, right? Know what you're getting angry about. And then also ask yourself, how important is this? Is this worth blowing up over and ruining the whole evening for the whole family? Do you major on the majors and minor on the minors? Be specific. And, and then uh, ask about its importance. I mean, the answer will usually be not as important as I'm making it out to be. Is it worth really blowing up over and then be factual, not emotional when you speak. Now don't say, you never do anything. All you do is sit on your rear end, and some of you might say something else, and, and let me do all the work, right? Now, you, know, you would get a whole lot more done if you communicate properly and say, Honey, I sure could use your help right now with the kids. Would you please help me? That'll work. If, if your husband is any kind of man at all, that, that will work. And then judge behavior, not motives, because we don't know the motives of the heart. God does, but we don't. Our tendency is to attribute good motives to ourselves and bad motives to the people that we get angry with. 
The truth is we, we don't even understand our own motivations most of the time. Did you know that? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful and, and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Who can even know your own heart? Hey, we're so depraved. How can we even know our own hearts? And so we find that our tendency is to think we have good motives and our partner maybe has bad motives. But the truth is, uh, we're not to pass judgment on the motivations of people who hurt us because we are not mind readers. We don't know why they said what they said or did what they did. It's much better to say, I was hurt when you walked out of the room, honey, while I was talking, than to say, you don't care what I think. One of the hardest things to do is to convey the depths of your feelings when you are angry or when you have been hurt. It's tough. And I'll tell you something else to do. Shoot up an arrow. Shoot up an arrow prayer to the Lord. I, I, an arrow prayer is just a short prayer, folks. Just a prayer uttered in, in the moment of extreme crisis or, or extreme provocation. Maybe your wife has provoked you, your husband has provoked you, and you just send up a, a prayer. Help me, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. You know, that can work wonders. Believe it or not, just a short prayer can work wonders and keep you from saying something that you will greatly regret saying later. I want to give you three practical tips for better communication before we leave here this morning. Number one, as a husband and wife, pray together. Pray together. Some couples do this naturally. Uh, some struggle to do this. It's a struggle. But one can lead one day, maybe let the other lead the prayer the next day. Prayer draws a couple close together. It's, it's very difficult to talk to the Lord about your home and your life and then just explode on each other. You know, there's a little saying, the family that prays together stays together. There's some truth in that. But, but an honest prayer opens doors to good communication because as we talk to God, the innermost feelings of our hearts begin to come out. And it helps with communication in the family. And then secondly... Spend five minutes in your car before you come inside. This is for you husbands and wives who bring your work home with you. And I'll tell you, preachers have a tendency to do that as well. I mean, we care about our people, and it's easy to bring things home with you. I try to shelter my family from, from any problems in ministry. But you can't always do that. But it takes you 30 minutes. The studies have been made. It takes you 30 minutes to depressurize. And so when we get home, if your mind is plugged in back at the office, just sit quietly behind the wheel for a few minutes and depressurize. Don't just hop out of the car with your mind filled with all the problems of the day and go in and dump them on your family. Uh, that's not fair to the people who are waiting inside to see you and who love you. You can ruin a whole evening by dragging your work home with you. Take a deep breath, exhale, and repeat it. Repeat the thing three times. 
depressurize. Think for a moment about your husband, your wife, what kind of day they might have had. Get a, get a picture of the children in your mind. You're at home now. You're safe. And it doesn't matter what the boss said to you or whether you didn't get that business contract or, or you didn't get that big project done on time. You're home. And, and when the people you love, when you walk in, they're waiting to see you. Don't bring it home. And then you open the door of the car and you get out of the car and you leave your worries behind and you go and you hug your family. You say, I love you. I love your family. And then ask your spouse about how they're feeling. Don't always come and talk about how you're feeling. Ask them how they're feeling. So many times uh, you don't know how your spouse is feeling because you don't take the time to ask them. And so if you don't know how can, how, how can, uh, how they feel, how, you need to ask them. And then be quiet and pretty soon they will tell you how they feel. And it works. And the more you listen, the more they will tell you. Pretty soon they'll ask you, how are you feeling, honey? Go ahead and tell them. See, that's what communication is all about. The area of communication. A lot of people have a, are hotheads, even some men and some women. Some people have a hair-triggered temper, and they can fire off at the least provocation at you in public or everywhere they go. They leave a trail of hurt people behind them. A kid was studying history one night, and he asked his dad how World War II began. And his dad said, well, the Japanese attacked us at Pearl Harbor. And that's true. That's when America, after Pearl Harbor, that's when we finally got into the war. We were not in the war up until after Pearl Harbor. He, he was right. But his wife jumped in and said, no, that's not right. It was Hitler who started invading Europe that started the war. And she was also right. But one was talking about the United States. One was talking about the war as a whole. Both, both were right. And when that wife did that, that husband glared at his wife and said, he didn't ask you, he asked me, and you need to just butt out. Well, she stormed out of the room, and just before she slammed the door, she said, well, if you're going to teach him, you better know the facts yourself. And that father turned back to his son and continued his conversation with the boy, and the boy said, Dad... I don't want to hear anymore. That's okay, Dad. I know how now how wars get started. <laughs> when Dwight Eisenhower was a child, and I close with this, he had a terrible temper. And he wrote about a life-changing experience that he had when he was a boy. And once when his father told him that he couldn't go with his older brothers to do something. He just went into a rage and he ran out of the house and he slammed the door and he began to, he found the tree and he began to pound his fist on the tree until his hands and knuckles began to bleed. And he was literally blinded, he said, by his anger. 
And his father came out and grabbed him and took him back inside and gave him a good old-fashioned whipping. Later, as he was crying in his room, his godly mother, he said, came in to the room to clean his wounded hands from beating the tree. She quoted Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32 that says, Better a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. From that point on, Dwight Eisenhower began to ask God to help him control his temper. He later wrote, if he had not learned to surrender his anger and control his temper, that he would never have been the supreme commander who led our forces in World War II. And he would never have become president of the United States. Be careful to avoid angry words in your conversations. Communication in your family is a luxury, or it's not a luxury, it's a necessity. It's a necessity. You've got to work at it. And let us never forget James 1.19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. 